Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne. Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX is clipped. Now streaming only on Hulu. D O I in apostrophe. I T W I T. H T A N N Y and J E N N Y. Doing it with Danny Jenny. Eva La Revolution. <laughs> Eva La. Thank you. you like Eli Braden. Thank you. Thank you. Doing for- it nation, we're back. Do it, boy, doing it nation. <laughs> you, su- you suffered through just a Jenny and myself episode. And by mm-hmm. the way, I felt we brought our A game last week. Um, really did too. We, we, like- and we brought our sons. I brought my dog, Dewey, and you brought Michael. I brought Your my actual human son. I had my actual human son here. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and, you know, we tease that maybe we'd have like, you know, a guest that yes. coming up that we were excited about and, yes. and, 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 you know, people, people guess that, by the way, your guesses were, thank you for sending them in. And whoever said, oh, Michelle Obama, you're right. So I like to yeah. welcome Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's next week. Jenny, that's you next week. Cause I, I, I can't believe she's doing our show. I'm I so can't believe mad. she's doing our show, and I'm actually just waiting at some point for her to just leave the meeting and realize that this is so beneath her to be here. She doesn't know because she was not like in society for a couple of years. She doesn't know how little we are. Oh, that's the problem. But y'all, Amanda Knox is here. This is Amanda Knox, everybody. Come well, on, Amanda Knox. You're kidding me. <laughs> applause, 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 applause. I wasn't sure if I should say anything, but that theme song is kick ass <laughs> you. you hear that eli that's eli so cool. big you eli that, Brady, big. <laughs> that will make him so happy eli if you ever listen to howard stern eli is responsible for all the songs about robin's titties that they play yeah that's eli. all right <laughs> he's um, well he's a classically trained musician yeah. it's very classy yeah we keep touching it upon real current material yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're thrilled to have you on and to a slightly less extent thrilled that you're free. Priorities. Priorities are there. And I guess the first question, just getting up, because it's the one everybody's thinking about. How's the food? I mean, it's delicious over there, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, you, you know, that is meal. the greatest tragedy of this whole story. Is <laughs> how you. long no. I spent in Italy and how horribly i ate <laughs> while i know there. you were, you actually if in in any of the books you can't find a bad meal 
Yeah. Um, you know, just uh, just get railroaded and then you will find a bad meal. Um, yes. I just, you know. There was I, one day, I was in Italy, like on the Amalfi Coast. I was trying to find bad food just to see if it was possible. Couldn't yes, find it. Not. But Amanda, it's not. It was all served <laughs> to you. <laughs> you know, I brought my son last week. It didn't work out. Like we, like we had a scheduling thing with, 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 with you, but I had my son here and I was thinking like, he's 20. And that's when all this went down for you. Yep. And, and, and. I, I like, I, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm failing. I was so taken because I, I was following that case from the very beginning. And I will say, and it's not just because you're here and all this, but it made no sense. And in the recent documentary that you were in, you say it so brilliantly. Does it make sense that yeah. I have no, would do like a absolute like crazy sex game Mm-hmm. And to, to, to murder somebody or that you got the wrong person that like that that the person who actually has a criminal record I mean it was just I can't it, it, you know that you talk about being Kafka-esque and these existential crisis but to have lived that at 20 I, yeah. I, I, just, I, I don't know and from I I felt on all levels I felt from you I felt and I kept thinking about your parents Jesus Christ what a yeah, like you thinking, oh, I'm just gonna head off for a little foreign exchange program. I'll oh see yeah, soon, you know, like yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Like right. I could get sick. I'd have to go to the hospital and then deal with health insurance in Italy, and who knows how to do that? So okay. like that's what we were thinking would be like worst case scenario kind yeah, of thing. Like, don't use your, don't lose your passport. I was gonna yeah, say, yeah, exactly. Hold on to that tight. Yep. That's that's gonna be the big situation. How long were you? in Italy before this happened? Like it wasn't very it long. Was, it was not very long. I was there for, I believe like five weeks was, I had like moved in and was there for five weeks, just over a month before uh, this person broke into our house and committed the murder. And then date within days I was arrested. Yeah. So. And you were in custody for how long then total? I was in custody for four years. And I was on trial for a total of eight years. So really like, you know, you, you mentioned your son was, is 20 now. Like I have three younger sisters. And when my youngest sister turned 20, I was finally free. Right. And I had this moment of like, wow, if you were me, you would be going to jail right now. And she was such, she, like, she's a baby. Like it's a, it's a, it's a young person. And I really grew up in this experience because I spent my entire 20s dealing with this terrible, yeah. terrible, traumatic thing. So I judge, I mean, what was so telling for me about this, and partly it's like why I'm very grateful I had no social media, because this expands to other things. But you being on trial for your reactions as a 20-year-old, mm-hmm. I, like, I, it's like, it's, it's as though there's like this willful thing that happens in outrage culture where we forget, we can't, like, I think about the things I did when I was in my 20s and and certainly Jenny, and we were far, like yours were aired out, but ours are far more wild and crazy. (laughs) And and, I mean, I, I can only speak for myself, like, it, damning because most college kids are but to have yours and to have all of the hand wringing and all of these sanctimonious men mm-hmm. yeah yeah just, 
It's interesting because like, well, one, my husband and I have a running joke that like of the two of us, I was the one who went to prison. (laughs) Like, come on. Um, But also like, I I mean, on the one hand, like I can get it because like in those first few days before I was arrested, when we were all just like suddenly this horrible thing had happened and it seemed like it came out of nowhere and we were like oh my god is there a serial killer on the loose like we had no idea what was going on the way that the police were talking to all of us and they do this in case after case after case is like anything you can imagine like try to remember every single interaction that you've ever had with your friend Meredith and other people that were around was there anyone who just seemed a little off and they sort of coax you into trying to reimagine what seemed like normal interactions with people in a sinister way. Yeah. And so you're sort of primed to suddenly rethink the way that you've you've already encountered other people and then some people's minds retroactively that yes, what they were doing was sinister when before they wouldn't have thought so. Like a great example of this is one of my roommates besides Meredith, her name was Philomena. Me and Lauren Philomena, my other two roommates were talking about getting an apartment together, like leading up to the day of my arrest. And it was only after my arrest that they started saying, oh yeah, you know, maybe Amanda was acting a little weird. Like everyone's sort of reimagined my, my, my interactions in a sinister light after I was arrested. And I think that like the main reason why I was arrested was not because the police thought I had anything to do with it at all. I think that they thought I knew something and that I wasn't sharing that with them. And so they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me until I broke in the interrogation room and then they were like oh well I guess we're arresting her now and now she's involved and now we have to like you know paint her as this person who would be involved Uh, the part the the man that was the lead prosecutor of Mm -hmm. the whole thing to me like if that if that man was replaced by somebody else do you think any of this would have happened to you because that one guy had it, it just felt like he had it out for you. Like he just, it, it seemed like he didn't like women. He didn't like Americans. And he, in the documentary, he talked about your, like, okay, you, you kissed your boyfriend as he was consoling yeah. you. Yeah. And, and that guy was just like, he determined. It's, it was almost like clickbait. Like a person reads a headline and they, yeah. they figure everything out about you when it's not true. Did you feel, was there one person or is that just how he came across in the documentary? I mean, he was not the only prosecutor in the case. He was the lead prosecutor. Um, he was the only you know, prosecutor who was there during my interrogation. Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely was the one who was championing this case, right? Yeah. The case against me. Um, and he's a complicated person because I, it's... It's so hard. I know that he is a father of four daughters. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you can't hate women if you have four daughters. <laughs> that was um, the most disturbing thing when he said that too. He was like, and I have four daughters. I'm like, that's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I almost want to say that I I know a lot of people have put a lot of pressure on him and and or at least fault on him. And I agree. I I definitely agree that of all the people in the world who could have put an end to this, that he could have done that. Yeah. At the same time, he's not the only one guilty of making the same mistakes 
that everyone did around this case. Like even as recently as Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole chapter in his book about me, I actually did a whole podcast episode about this where Malcolm Gladwell wrote about how I was misperceived and his sort of, his, his idea was, well, Amanda is an innocent person who acts like a guilty person. And that's why all this happened. And it was like, well, it's more complicated than that, buddy. Like, <laughs> I was actually, I was going to bring that up. You wow. Because I, I remember, I, I had a couple issues with a, a couple things in that, in that series. And I like Malcolm Gladwell, but I, did you ever get to confront him on that or talk to him about it? So... What happened was um, Malcolm Gladwell reached out to me to say, hey, we've um, written a whole chapter about your case in, um, in our book, and we would love to use excerpts from your audiobook in our audiobook. Can we do that? And I said, well, um, can I read it? <laughs> and I mean, they said, sure. Yeah, it's pretty reasonable. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, they said, sure. So he shared it with me. And I wrote him back saying, well, you know, I really appreciate certain things that you did, like mentioning the fact, like starting out talking about the case as like, here's the real person who did it. His name yeah. is Rudy Gaudet. Uh, that's often overlooked. Um, yeah. I actually talk about, and that's another episode of my podcast, um, Labyrinths, where I talk about the actual killer getting out recently. We're jumping back into that. I, you yeah. know what, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to subscribe to that podcast like right now. Yeah. <laughs> Labyrinth, yeah. But I, and, but I said to him, look, I appreciate that you've like talked about the facts of the case and, and who did it and who didn't do it. But I do disagree a little bit with your take because I think that how people perceive others is really colored by the context with which they're, or in which they're judging them. And is, is there, is the prosecutor motivated to judge me in a certain way, given the fact that he's already staked a claim, like his reputation is now staked in me being guilty, right? Yeah. Like it, it's not so much just like, I act like a guilty person in quotes, mm-hmm. and therefore that's how wrongful convictions happen. That's not how wrongful convictions happen. That's, yeah. that's way oversimplified. And he was like, well, um, you know, you'll get it, like, it'll make sense in the context of the entire book. And he sort of didn't engage with me on it. So I got, I got the feeling that like, Malcolm Gladwell is like any other person who has encountered this case, which there is this sort of sense of like, armchair detectiveness, like, um, you sit back and you sort of look at what um, the world has given you and think, okay, how do I write a theory around this information that has Exactly. given to me. And the information that has been fed throughout the entire world is Amanda's a weirdo. So therefore, yeah. <laughs> that's no, what happened. Because most people that are weirdos what, murder their roommate after five, but like that doesn't exist. It was so clearly like, even if like, you know, we've seen this with like, you know, I, I have a daughter on the spectrum, but it's like, it, we've seen this with like actual Asperger people or people whose affect is weird and then they're immediately guilty of something. Sure. And mm-hmm. there's gun control. It's always a mental health issue. And right. whatever you're doing. so, but, but, but we have that. But for me with you, it was like, at no point were you acting anything other than, by the way, a fairly mature 20 year old who had yeah. a lot to fucking deal with during that period of time. Anytime. Yeah. So I, you know, I always think it's like, it's these guys who just, this inability 
to not to to not say it's anti-science, but to say like, oh, I was wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That it like being wrong is like in some way like devastating to you. It's like yeah. it means I'm less than as opposed to oh, I went down the wrong alley, and we just yeah. yeah. I mean, being wrong, actually, in this day and age is like, no one can admit that they're wrong. Like, I have yeah. never have a problem saying, man, I, yeah, you're right. I was wrong, man. I totally thought that if more people could just do that, we would have a lot less issues with politicians, with people that they're like, I will ride this story down into the ground. Like, I think this about comedy, I mean, just have, just have shifted. But like, if you're like good at comedy, you have to acknowledge when your shit doesn't work. Otherwise, you're going to do it again. And like, you are like, you go up on stage or put on TV a bomb, and it's like, oh, okay, well, I can either do that again or admit, yeah, yeah I, I screwed up and let's yeah. learn from it. And yeah. it's not taught in other disciplines as much, I don't think. Yeah. It's, a, it's unfortunate. Yeah. And I think that, Amanda, you know, like that's what, you know, like the, the public of, you know, the court of opinion of public, you know, like that you were convicted before you were convicted, you know, and yeah, and, and being like, I remember like being a news producer, like during that time, when you spoke, there was a, there was a particular time and er, all the headlines were the fact that you spoke perfect Italian. <laughs> and that was headlines everywhere per, in perfect Italian. It's like, what, that's the, that's what your takeaway is from everything that she just said was that you actually spoke Italian. Yes. Yeah. Well, and they were I've very, been there for a while. Right. I'm like, <laughs> it'd be weird if she blurted shit out in German. I would think. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, at least they didn't make a big deal about how you looked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is. They that would have just been the nar- icing on the cake. <laughs> they love that narrative so much. I mean, I will tell you, and like, for me, even more than the prosecutor, and if you haven't seen it, it's on um, it's on Netflix, Amanda Knox. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really- It's really great. Because it applies to other things. It's not just about you. Like I think about this with Britney right now. Mm-hmm. And like Britney was under a lot of pressure and shaved her head. And yep. suddenly by doing that act, she loses everything because she's a woman acting strangely by society. You did not shave your head. You were shook <laughs> in this situation, but you were still railroaded. So I think about that. But the person in that documentary most in need of me punching them in the face was the journalist uh, Pisa. Yes. My oh, family likes guy. to call him Nick Pisa shit. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I called him the leaning tower of bullshit. Uh, so, I was going to say he's the leading tower of piece of shit. Also, so we're like, he, all right. <laughs> like, and I've watched this with every like journal, like journalist and this, and this, and this like attack where they yeah. just don't take responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't like, I, it, it drives me crazy. It, it's him. It's who's that smug guy who took over for, um, I, I've gotten in so many fights with him on Twitter. Um, the smug English guy who took over for Larry King. Um, oh, Piers Brock. Piers Brock. Piers Morgan. Yeah. Piers Morgan. Oh man. He loves me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. he, I mean, he, he has clearly a big affection for women that didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah. The guy, the, that Daily Mail guy, I, I like in the documentary and who made the documentary? I should have wrote that down. Yeah. So um, Brian McGann and Rod Blackhurst are the filmmakers. Um, I think this, uh, the producer was Stephen Morse. Yes. Um, all of them young guys uh, who came out of nowhere and 
and followed the case even when I was still on trial. And yeah. I think they did a really good job. Like I definitely entrusted myself into their hands because it's not like my film. I didn't make it. Yeah. Um, but I think that the thing that really made a difference for me when I was working with them, as opposed to like the various interviews that I've done yeah. since coming home was they didn't just ask me like, what happened? And then what did you do? And then yeah, what did yeah. you do? Like they asked me what I thought about what happened. Like, yeah. how are you processing this experience and what does it mean to you? Yeah. And kind of goes back to what you were mentioning about like this feeling that we all have in society and this, um, of not being able to admit we're wrong, of immediately making snap judgments about people, about not allowing people to like change or not being willing to change your position. Yeah. Like these are all problems that this case speaks to, but which are broader problems in society. And it's one of the things that's like led me to get into journalism now in the first place because yeah. of people like Nick Pisa yeah. who exist in a sort of echo chamber uh, of, of commercialized slander and and scandal mongering um yeah. and that's that's what journalism has been reduced to like come on and i almost feel bad for him because he's rewarded for doing this and so he doesn't even realize or maybe he does um that he's doing his work and getting his kicks at the expense of real people um i don't know well, there, there's a thing like in journalism and where libel laws that you have to follow where you can't just say, I couldn't lead my newscast by going, overnight my aunt totally said that this guy robbed that house. Like I have to say like authorities, here's the proof. Here's the, the actual hard evidence that somebody did something. The guy, the Daily Mail guy was like, I thought the, the documentary filmmakers had your back so much because I love the way that they showed him saying how great it felt for him to see his name attached to the biggest story in the world. They, and they, they, let, they let him hang himself. They the let him do it and they let that bit hang. And I was like, uh, I'm going to give that a standing ovation. Good, because he, he just came across. They made him look like the biggest piece of shit that he is for just being happy and, and not following like I used to hate, I hated when I would have to write a story and say first reported by TMZ. Do you know mm -hmm. like how devastating that was for somebody with a uh. journalism degree to go like, oh God, this hurts. Yeah. But that's how many people now like would rather just hear a Daily Mail bullshit thing versus the truth. I have a question about that. While in prison, did you have access to this shit? Like, were you so I had very limited access. Um, I did not have access to what was happening in the British or the um, American news media. I had access to what was happening in Italy, and it was not much better um, than no. what was what Nick and like to to also sort of defend Nick Pisa. He was not the only person who oh, was doing fun. that work. Um, and oh, you're a much better person than me. I'm like, <laughs> I hate him more than you do. I'm more yeah. funded. Yeah, but you're well, right. He, he was the one who agreed to be on the documentary. I mean, yeah. there's there a ton of people slinging bullshit. So. Yeah. And, you know, one interesting fact about the documentary, um, which I think is a really the reason why they did such a good job. And I actually a note that I've taken for my own um, journalism yep. work now is everyone who was interviewed for that documentary had a chance to see it before it came out and everyone approved of the way that they were portrayed 
which goes to say that like what Nick Pisa was describing about his experience reporting on this case, he that, that was his true experience of it, which is all the more terrifying because if they were going out of their way to like make him look like a scance or a skew or whatever in ways that were not how he intended to come across, like that would have been, I would have been uncomfortable with that. But the fact that they let him breathe basically and say, Hey, what do you really think about your job? (laughs) And like, you know, what feels good about this? And, and like that actually made it all the more scary because he thought he was doing the right thing. Yeah. Figure out a way you get into these bubbles and it becomes noble. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, because, you know, at a certain point, you know, even, you know, you see this amongst like criminal defense lawyers and it's like, you know, the, you know, you'll hear lawyers talking about what a masterful job so-and-so did um, defending Derek Chauvin. And it's like, mm-hmm. you no, know, we saw him murder him. Now I'm not saying yeah. he's entitled to a defense, but like right. what, what, what gymnastics are you doing in your head to justify certain jobs you do? And particularly in tabloid press, I am you know, I, we, you know, both of us have friends who've been like, um, you know, uh, in the spotlight who've been like, mm. you know, it's crazy. They just forget their people. They forget. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they go, you have everything and this won't hurt you. Doing it nation. I'm coming to you, Jenny Johnson, comedian, writer, all around straight up G. I'm about to let you know about athletic greens, AG one that I just started taking because Now that I'm 44 years old and, you know, mama gets a little tired from time to time. And I'm telling you, this green drink is amazing. I don't want a lot of sugar because I still got to keep my body looking tight. This has low sugar. It tastes great. It helps me sleep at night. Another thing I have problems with. And I just feel good all the way around. The most important thing for me is it containing less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. I am forever searching for healthy options, low in sugar and high in taste, and AG1 is the perfect fit for me. It gives me all the energy I need during the day. I get a great night's sleep, and you know what? I look amazing. I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I think AG1 does. AG1 is where it's at. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash doing it. Again, that is athleticgreens.com backslash doing it to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Okay, doing it nation, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. Bet online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting props and futures. Head to bet online and use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code CLNS50, that is CLNS50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. Yeah. Did anyone, Amanda, ever like come circle back to you and apologize? Did you ever have a person tell you that they were wrong, that was part of, that they were part of the reason that you or even anybody in Meredith's family? Um, no. Um, oh, so no, no one who was actually 
in responsible in any way. Interestingly enough, um, people who had sort of casually absorbed the case and just made judgments about me um, as consumers of media yeah. um, have reached out to me to apologize. And of course, it's like, of all the people in the world who have apologized to me, it's like the people who have done the least amount of harm and who yeah. are the most innocent in the sense that like, also they were exposed to a lie and yeah. they didn't know any better. Okay. So I've had people come up to me in tears like crying and telling me like, I'm so sorry I treated you like entertainment. Um, yeah. And that has meant a, a lot to me. Yeah. Um, it would mean a lot to have <laughs> the other people acknowledge that they, that they yeah. played a role and that it wasn't just my fault. Um, yeah. But you know what? That's a super common problem in wrongful convictions yeah. Anyway, it's it's very, very common for there to be no apology. It's very yeah. common for there for the um, the initial victim's family to to not be receptive to the idea of their innocence. So yeah. it's it's unfortunately quite common and something that I share with a lot of people in the innocence community. Yeah, I have two 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 questions sort of about that, uh, about when you're there. So you're like three years into this thing, but like you've now been away for three years. Do you believe while you're sitting there that you are going to be, you are going to get out and be exonerated? Or did you have, did you have dark nights? Of the, did you lose all hope? I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. So I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, the, the second that I was convicted, that I heard guilty, mm -hmm. um, I went through an existential crisis. The world collapsed underneath me. I realized that the truth didn't matter. Yeah. And I didn't have anything to hope, like to hang my hope on anymore. So I went back to my jail cell thinking I'm never getting out of here. And I need to I'm now imagine the life that I can live in this place and whether or not it's worth living. Um, I had a lot of very, very serious thinking about what my life could look like and whether or not I felt um, like it was, it was worth it. Yeah. Um, Jesus Christ. And Sorry. yeah, I, I mean, it's just the reality of the situation. Um, yeah. And it's funny, even while I was going through my um, appeals and the appeals were going froze. really well, um, you know, there was, I was there were independent experts who were coming back saying like the, the prosecution's uh, forensics team is full of crap. And like all of it was going really, really well, like leading up to hearing the word you're acquitted and you're released from prison. Like I was shaking. I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I had no hope or faith in anything. So um, I, and it's, it was hard and it would actually led to some conflict between me and my family members because my mom, my poor mom, and of course, like my mom's experience of this whole thing, and my family's experience of this whole thing. It's not just a thing that happened to me. It happened to everyone. Like my mom had to like, had to hold on to the idea that it was going to be okay. Somehow she didn't care how long it was going to take. There was going to be a light at the end of that tunnel. And I stopped believing in that. 
And Mm -hmm. it was a really difficult conversation to have with her where like, she would just basically say, just, we got to keep holding on and keep waiting. And I was like, I'm not going to keep waiting for a life that I can't count on. Yeah. So I need to try to make this life worth living. And that was really hard. It's so hard to imagine how to make a life like that worth living. So it was, it was something that I often felt like I had to figure out on my own because my mom kept wanting to just hold on to you're getting out, you're getting out, you're getting out. Anyway. Yeah. It's can't imagine what they went. That's a, I mean, that's a tough thing. Did, did you ever have like, while you were in prison, did you have a cellmate or were you in a cell by yourself? Yeah, I had cellmates the whole time. Um, so it, and there were various, I had different cells throughout the, the time uh-huh. that I was there. Sometimes I had as many as five cellmates. Other times I just had one cellmate and a smaller cell. Um, I never was in, um, I mean, I was in, I was technically in isolation for the first eight months, but I wasn't in solitary confinement. Okay. My, um, my your, actual- Your rest, boyfriend was, right? Yes, he was. He was in solitary confinement for eight months. Um, why what's the reasoning for that well they said to for his protection <laughs> right that's usually because if he's a it's a high profile it's a high person. profile case other um, it's, it's one that involves sexual assault so it was you know yeah. he was a target potentially um so he was spent a much longer time in isolate or in solitary and i was in isolation, which is this middle ground where I had a cellmate, but I was forbidden from taking part in any of the common activities. I was just supposed to stay in my cell and I couldn't talk to anyone. Did you make was there any physical altercations with anyone? Did anyone ever try to? So there were always, it, it was always like you're on the brink of something happening just because yeah. everyone that I encountered in the prison environment was struggling with with some with something like most yeah. of these women were dealing with years of neglect or abuse or or addiction or yeah. whatever it may be like they were troubled women and um they didn't always have the best you know impulse control and i I very much tried to be as small and invisible as possible my entire time that I was in prison, but I didn't mean that like, especially in the beginning when I couldn't speak Italian very well, there were lots of misunderstandings and miscommunications and like, goodness forbid that I accidentally like threw away someone's like tobacco leaves that they had like wrapped up in a, in a piece of paper and just sort of stuck by their bed. Like then it was like, oh my God, am I going to have my head flushed in the toilet kind of thing? But um, learned right away, scuse. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. <laughs> but you never uh, actually did. Like nobody ever. No, I never got into their... fights with anyone. Um, I did mean, anyone I ever try to fight you. So again, like people yelled at me. People threatened me. Um, someone attacked. I was next to. I was like taking a walk with one of my cellmates, and one person jumped and attacked my cellmate. And, um, while I was just kind of next to her, um, but I never was attacked personally by anyone. I, I was sexually harassed by guards, but like, that's different. Like that's a different male guards, male guards. Yeah. 
Jesus Christ. Yeah. So you were like, never were you never touched, but you were harassed. Like they verbally. Um, so one guy grabbed good. me in the bathroom once, but like oh, it, I wasn't naked or anything. He just like grabbed me around the waist and I had to like squirm away. Um and then there's no way you could go like, oh my God, you're not gonna believe what this guy did. No, <laughs> I did no not say believing. anything. Yeah, yeah, no one's believing you. You have to just yeah and like i it was just better again it was better to be invisible and to be wow, as small man. as possible so did you wow. did you make friends that's another question like are there people you're still in touch with from those four years or was it just i'm curious that's because it's mm -hmm. like obviously from a different world yeah. I think a lot of the women who were in there so yeah so um i made friends with plenty of the people that were in there i've stayed in touch with um one woman who is actually the only other american woman who was in the prison um, with me. She was my cellmate for a while, um, much, much older than me um, in her late 50s now. Um, and with with yeah, Danny, Danny's going to take offense to much. Oh, more sorry. Older. <laughs> I'm only 57. I, I, late 50s is 59, right? I yeah. still have another two years. People, people yeah. Danny is going to get upset because you said much, much older. Well, get off my lawn. And then <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're in touch and like, she comes and hangs out with my family on holidays and things like that to this day. Um, but then of course I've stayed in touch with, um, the one person who was, who genuinely became my friend. And it's funny because I'm like an atheist, but, um, the priest in the prison actually became a very good friend of mine. We connected really? on, um, yeah, he's just like this, like sweet, uh, like cries at every movie, even if it's just like, you know, Kung oh. Fu Panda <laughs> kind of guy. Um, and he like um, often had me come to his office um, for confession, but like we would just play guitar together. Oh. Really nice. I grew up in New Jersey and I had a lot of Italian Catholic friends and all my girlfriends were so, like, I knew priests. I never was raised Jewish, but so I only went to at the churches. But I, yeah, I knew a lot of those uh, uh, people who became priests and in that world. And yes, a lot of them who were, were really kind souls. So yeah. Um, yeah. Well, while priests? you were, while you were there, like, were you able to like watch shows? Did you like, I'm going to say this so we can also segue into like what the things that we've been watching, but was there stuff like, how did you keep a sense of like, did you get to watch comedy? Is there something like what gave you like a level of happiness while you're there? I mean, I, I'd imagine you have to grasp for straws to try to find your happy place. In yeah, prison. so um, show wise, that was a little hard because um, again, trying to be an invisible small person, mm -hmm. I did not control the television in um, in our cell. So there well, were- Modern family, they watch a lot of modern family, right? Modern yeah, family. Danny. <laughs> we were there during it. I just I assume that the Italians love the modern family, right? Danny, do you um, want to work in that you have bucks. your Emmys for modern family? Go ahead and say it. I know you want it. <laughs> so go on. Um, yeah, so it was just a bunch of, like I spent a lot of time with my head in books. Uh -huh. Um, honestly. Um, so one of the books that I really, really latched onto was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like the ultimate, uh, just because it was like right a giant book that I could just immerse myself in. It was funny. I needed something funny. And I will say that the one show that I saw in prison that I was able to watch because it was on really late at night after everyone had taken their meds and were passed out. <laughs> 
So I would have it on really, really quietly was Flight of the Concords. It's my favorite. Of all things, of all things. And like Flight of the Concords is one of my favorite, favorite shows. And I first saw it in prison. Okay, well, I, I, I'm- Oh, I'm, Amanda, I'm we talk about Jermaine so much. I'm Twitter friends with Jermaine. I'm going to make sure he sees this. So he knows. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm also Twitter friends with Jermaine. Oh, you are? Or, at the, oh, great. or at the very least, I have sent him a somewhat uh, like creepy, like <laughs> I love you message. Um, very it was much. the one I sent. I promise. I promise. No, he doesn't follow me, so it's fine. Y'all have fun. Y'all are friends with him, and I'm. Oh, so you sent him like how much you love? Yeah, he's great. No, I haven't because he didn't follow me. Oh, I'll tell you that. Yeah, but a man. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> Did he respond though? Was he? Was he like? Yeah, yeah. He was very nice. He was very sweet. Yeah. Oh, that's so. so, That's so great. I have one last question before we tag in because you're so fascinating. In the documentary, there's a second trial, and you're here. Obviously, you're out, but there's like some weird like appeal trial or something Mm material that you obviously win, um, and you're the 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 guy you were dating wins, and it's all that's all good. If you had lost. What would have happened? Yeah. So first of all, I did lose yeah. the first time around. Um, while so you were here? I was, yeah, while I was here. So I yeah, was acquitted. You lost because I remember going, yeah, she's going to head back. Like, no, there's no fucking way you're going Yeah, back. well, <laughs> I think my words were uh, kicking and screaming. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the people made a heyday out of that. And it was like, come on, what would you do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fight this is what I'm saying. Right. <laughs> but, like a yeah, four years. I'm going to be me now. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so in Italy, they don't do double jeopardy the same way that they do here. Um, so uh, prosecutors can also appeal acquittals and, uh, they appealed my acquittal. Um, it was sent back for retrial. I was convicted again, Mm -hmm. and then it was sent to the Italian Supreme court and they overturned it and definitively acquitted me. So that is the sort of back and forth kangaroo court situation that I dealt with. And I will say that during that time period, I lived in limbo. Like I could, I, I went back to school, but I was, you know, like, okay, am I going to get my degree and go back to prison? Like, can I make friends? Like I can't do anything. But but, but, our government have extradited you. That's that's my question. You would not have gotten extradited. No. Right. Well, so we have an extradition treaty with Italy. I don't feel like we would have sent you back. I don't like. Well, I, I can't say what would have happened, but I can tell you is what I was preparing to have oh. happen. And what I was preparing for was to turn myself in to local authorities um, to hopefully try to, if they were going to, you know, impose a sentence on me, I was going to fight to at the very least request that I serve my sentence in the United States so that it was an easier burden on my family. Um, These these were all things that like I was thinking about while also taking classes at the, at the university of Washington. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, uh, (laughs) before we get into our recommendations, I do want to ask, what have you been up to since? Cause you've talked about you're working on the innocence project and your podcast. Tell me what Mm -hmm. you're working on now. Yeah. Yeah, so I I do a number of things and I don't technically work for the Innocence Project. Like like many other exonerees, I'm often asked to 
speak for the Innocence Project in order to like spread the word or raise awareness or, you know, even fundraise. Mm -hmm. And so I'm happy. I'm always happy to do that. Um, And in fact, I'm actually, I don't know if you guys know, but there's an exoneree band um, and I'm part of the exoneree band. (laughs) Wait, what? Uh, Yeah, if you guys don't know about the exoneree band. I saw that at Coachella. Um, uh, (laughs) I don't know. I I have my guitar here. (laughs) Basically, they brought me on because like I'm I'm decent at karaoke and I'm a and I'm a girl. (laughs) And it was it was it's mostly guys in the exoneree community. But they were like, Amanda, you can sing. Get on this. Get on this band. Um, So we actually are going to be doing a gig in October. Um, in where, wait, where up? Um, in Illinois. <laughs> in Illinois. What's the name of the band? It's called the Exoneree Band. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a link if you want. <laughs> you holy shit! Um, oh, uh, Danny, I, we gotta go to. This. I am the least musical person on this band, by the way. There oh. are some epically musical people on this band, so I highly recommend it. Who else is in it? Is it anyone else that we would? Um, I don't think you would know them. Raymond Towler, Antoine Day, um, Ted Bradford, they're all exonerees. Um, What was Antoine's case? His name sounds familiar. um, Antoine Day was in prison for, God, was it 10 years that he was in? Um, and I forget what he was charged with. I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong thing. So you don't have, I mean, in a weird way though, it's like, I was when I was watching the case, the reason that the documentary, what I thought so clearly was like first the nightmare that you went through, which is all too common in African American community right now. Like the things of that that existential, you know, it doesn't matter, and you're mm-hmm. like, in, and yeah. you're just like you're copping to something because you don't want this investigation to end, and you're like some mm-hmm. young kid up the street who doesn't know better, and then you're doing twenty years for something you never did, yeah. and you're like, it was an interest. I mean, I hope it illuminated certain people who's like, you know, it, it, people who may not look like, but can you can you at least empathize with what this whole Black Lives Matter thing and mm-hmm. this stacked system of justice in this country? Yeah, because you really you were you experienced that, and you know, not in a and you it's not in, it's in a different way, but certainly the facts didn't matter. Real mm-hmm. noted, and a lot of what happened was based on how you looked and personal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, actually, are you guys are based in California, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll have to send you a link to the um, one of the episodes of um, Labyrinths where I interview Obi Anthony, who is one of my dear exoneree friends but he's based in california and he's been doing incredible work there um he's got this whole thing called obi's law where they passed a law giving um exonerees like actual resources when they get out because one of those like other parts of that story is okay you're wrongfully convicted you spend 10 years in prison yeah and then you're you get out and they're like, okay, good luck. Here's your garbage bag full of your stuff. Like West Memphis three. I remember like seeing Damien Eccles getting out of prison and he's walking down, you know, Fifth Avenue holding an iPhone and looking like he's yep. just seeing, you know, a building for the first time. And you're yeah. like, the- wow, the- nobody the- talks the- about like Yeah, the like- after, the afterwards, the now what is a big Issue. night terrors and sleeping and mm-hmm. like the when i got that- on twitter thing with um with trump which was like this before anybody thought he'd ever be president but when i we got into this like massive twitter one of the most um and i was just slamming and i kept bringing him up uh all of his 
things. I was reached out to by two of the Central Park Five, and it was so moved because I brought them up as a slam against. Mm. I'm telling you, it's like, and it was before the movie, and they were very like. They wrote what they wrote to me. Like it's still, I saved it. It makes me cry because it's like really, it's it sucks. So anyway, I thank thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. Now to the most trivial part of our podcast, given all we've been talking about. Now that you're out and free and probably have streaming services, um, uh, what are you watching? Yeah. That you like. Um. So. I have been watching The Office recently. Um, <laughs> so like, so basically this is my like viewing life is like, I spend so much time in my podcast labyrinths doing like really serious, like, you know, like yeah. deep, difficult, complicated issues and stories and like painful experiences because those are the things that people reach out to me to talk to. And yeah. then at the end of the day, I just need to listen to Weird Al and yeah. like watch the office. <laughs> and that's like, that's the cycle I'm in is like every day, like deep dives into like complicated issues, labyrinths, yeah. la, 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 and then Weird Al. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Weird Al was on this podcast before. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Okay. I'm well, if tell, you I'm can totally him to come on labyrinths, I, I will be so thrilled. Because... I'm totally going to email Weird Al. <laughs> yeah, we'll both email for you. Um, yeah. I'll oh just like God. sing his songs at him. <laughs> It'll be fun. <laughs> and by the way, he is the nicest person too. Like, there's nothing about him that will disappoint you. Like, right? No, he's he's nicer than I could ever dream of being. He is the oh. sweetest, the sweetest person ever. I, but I understand like when I'm like working during the day and I'm just writing, I have to have something on in the background. Recently, I've just been having like Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> classic I, I i didn't watch it like when it first aired now i'm like super giddy because it's like the last season's coming up but danny i will tell you that have you seen or both white lotus on hbo i've just yeah. watched the first one mike white and this and it's it's shot at the place where i wrote how he goes about it shot yes for seasons, which is yes. like i just wrote that guy I, the first episode i, I have the second episode uh, like i uh, queued up yeah. I love it. Did you see episode two? Is it still good? I saw episode two. I'm still not sure what it's about, but I'm invested. <laughs> like, like, um, uh, it's like a Downton Abbey um, situation. It's, it's the weirdest creepy. Okay, you know. Is um, it a Jen- comedy? It's a. It's like a dark comedy. You know who Jennifer okay. Coolidge is? Remember Stifler's mom in American Pie? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure, sure. So she's in it, and she plays just that perfect Jennifer Coolidge character and then you have steve zahn and connie Britton are married and then they have kids and then it's like okay there's these people are staying at this resort but it's like something's gonna happen no right off the bat somebody died at the resort they tell you that from the very beginning and then you go back so we don't know who it is but it really is about like one percent privilege at this insane resort and the people who are serving their needs and like what's going mm, on. Yeah. yeah. It's, just, it's so far very well observed. Yeah. And it's okay. also just like when you're watching it because it's set at this four seasons in Maui, it's beautiful. Like it's just awesome. like watching it at night, I'm like, oh God, look, look at that sunset. It's just so nice to look at this. It's like <laughs> aesthetically pleasing and it's very, it's fun. What about you, Danny? What do you got? Two music documentary recommendations. All right. I have been very so number one was um, uh, um, Summer of Soul, which is on, I don't know if it's on HBO Max or um, Netflix, but it is, um, uh, Questlove made this documentary. And it's about a music festival we never heard of. 
that hmm. was buried that we should have. It was in same. It was the when uh, 69. Uh, <laughs> 69. Iced. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, but um, and it was a Harlem Cultural Music Festival, and uh -huh. they found all of this footage of it and all the people who were there, and it was like it's Gladys Knight, it's Sly and wow. the Family Stone, it's the Fifth Dimension, Mahalia Jackson, and these performances. Wow. Stevie Wonder. It, the thing that blew me away, Stevie Wonder gets up there and before anything, just starts playing drums, which I did not know he did, and just I did not know that <laughs> drumming on one of his songs. I mean. And what it meant to this little community up in Harlem was this, and no one covered it. And wow. it was like, and it, it's, it was, it's so beautiful. Summer of Soul. Summer so of Soul. one is Edgar Wright's documentary uh, called The Sparks Brothers. Now Sparks was a band that was like from my era in the eighties, but I did not pay that close attention to them. They were like, they had a couple songs I knew of in the eighties. I had no idea that they had been around from the early seventies and are still making music. And the, the, the culture and the people who come out to talk about them flee from uh, oh, Chili yeah, Peppers. Yeah. Um, it's just all of these people get together and are talking about like how weird and wild and interesting and innovative Sparks was. And I've been listening to Sparks since I've been there. Really well-made documentary. Sparks All World. right. Thank you. We'll listen to those for sure. Okay, so Amanda, your podcast with you and your husband, Christopher. Yeah, it's called Labyrinth. Labyrinth. And after the movie? Um, a little bit after the movie, a little bit after Jorge Luis Borges, if you're a nerd like that. <laughs> that is, I did not expect you to say that. <laughs> It, um, but yeah, so it's just like basically the the tagline is getting lost with Amanda Knox. And it's like all the times that you ever feel like you are overwhelmed and, and lost in your own life. And like, how do you find your way out again? Yeah. And like those are that that kind of experience is something that I understand really, really deeply. Uh, really? <laughs> how so? <laughs> but like you it's, just it's brought this up. The, like yes, yeah. the number of people who reach out to me. Um, and even just like, I don't know if you've been keeping up with the latest episodes, but like, though I, I write about, or I'm talking about infertility issues. Yes, and I, like one and of I the, apologize, I'm so sad about oh, your loss. No, sorry. thank you. Um, I mean, we're moving through it and moving beyond yeah. it, but like, I've, I've been shocked by the kinds of stories that people have been sharing with me and how much, how close it feels to being wrongly convicted because like it comes at you out of nowhere. Like you, yeah. you think your life is going one way, you're going to have kids and then mm -hmm. suddenly you can't and you have this existential crisis and you don't know why and you blame yourself yeah. and like you feel like you're just trapped in this long journey where you don't nice. know like at any point if it's going to be okay and there are no guarantees and so many people are going through that right now and no one talks about it. My, so my, my ex and I, I mean, we it was recently separated, but um, we went through it for years. I mean, yeah. it, was, it all, it, you know, it was like, it was, it was amazing because it really, and also really affected our marriage, I think. Yeah. For a long time. And they don't talk about that. We actually went to a support group. And, yeah. It was super helpful. Um, and like, uh, I mean, we, we were fortunate that, you know, in vitro eventually like third, try work but, but like that's like a journey oh my god holy the third shit. time like <laughs> it, yeah because that's a lot of injecting that's somebody yeah. yep. 
big ass needles. Yep. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, trying to suck out eggs and trying to get yeah. them for oh my God. a science oh. project. And then, you know, and then, I, then I got my twin daughters and frankly, they're kind of duds. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it wasn't really worth it. <laughs> they're, fun, they're lovely. Um, you uh, have to say that, but you know how you I'll have to get <laughs> um, oh, we'll definitely be checking that out. And honestly, it's it's really like you're very inspiring. It's such an honor to talk to you. Truly. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Well, uh, yeah. And I really, you know, like when I I saw like we were following each other, and I was like, you know, I want, I really wanted to talk to you, but I also just wanted you to come on like a comedy podcast because I feel like there's just a cloud over you what people think of you. Like, oh, totally. no one could ever think you would have a sense of humor or laugh at anything like you or, just... or like I, condemn me for having a sense of humor. Right. Like, I can't tell you the number of times I've made jokes on Insta or on Twitter and people are like, you know, who can't joke anymore. Oh, <laughs> I know. Like, You're like, roommate who was murdered by someone not, that was not that me. wasn't me. I didn't yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> like people are murdered every day and you're still laughing and you're yeah. laughing and uh. you're laughing. Like, I, I just wanted you to come because I know like there's, you're a human being and you, I, there's not an ounce of me that ever would think that you were guilty. I mean, I, I've read enough about it. I've saw the documentary and, and I know there's people in this world that probably disagree with me. And I know, you know, that, that people will yeah. just hear your name having read nothing. And I know that that's bothersome and you have to like shake that off. But I think, I'm so happy that you came here today because I think it's really beneficial just to show like, hey, you're a human being just trying to navigate life like the rest of it. You're, yeah, you know, well, you want to be a, a mom. Let's do a drunk history together. I think that oh, would yeah. be super oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> you should be Amanda in the drunk history. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can do a pretty good solid Italian accent, I think. All right. And so, but people can find you on social media, you have mm -hmm. website. Yeah, on Twitter at Amanda Knox, on Instagram at Amama Knox. And then, of course, always check out Labyrinths. That's that's where I'm at. We're going to do Absolutely, it. Thank yeah. you so much. And doing it, Nation, you're welcome.